I'm so thankful that I get to be your pastor. I really am. Nine years ago when we came here, uh, it was, uh, you've been really patient with me, letting me learn how to be a pastor. And, and, and you know, years, nine, about nine years ago, a little, little after I got here, I, I, I went to this little round table with a group of pastors in, in Fort Worth, and it was at Southwestern Seminary. And, uh, and we got to go to Prestonwood Baptist Church, and there's a, the pastor there has been there a long time. His name's Jack Graham, and he uh, was a pastor in Oklahoma, and all of us were from Oklahoma, so he hosted us for a, for a lunch. It was the first time I'd met him, and, uh, and he's just a well-known pastor, and it was fun to just sit at a table with him. And I said to him, um, you know, how do you last in ministry? And, and he said to me, well, three things. He goes, first of all, uh, you have to have an authentic walk with the Lord. You got to walk with the Lord if you're going to last in ministry. And, and I would say, in, if we're going to finish our race with any of us, we, we need to walk with the Lord. Um, second thing he said that was really good, he said, he said, you need to listen to your wife. And, uh, and I just want you to know, my wife, she attends the first service and teaches Sunday school in the youth at this hour. She confirmed that I'm, I'm doing okay listening to her. I, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm following through with that. But, but that was good advice because your wife sees things that you don't see, so you got to listen to your wife. And then the third thing was really good. He said, you need to have friends in your life that you don't impress. I was like, okay. Can he, I can explain that. He goes, well, you got to have friends that look at you and they go, I don't care about the press you get. Uh, you don't impress me. So they can just speak honestly with you. They, they, they just tell you like it is. And, and I would say that's valuable because we need correction at times, don't we? We all need correction. We all need someone in our life that's going to go, look, you need to fix that. That's not good. That's not a good way to go. Uh, we, we need the, kind of that, that person in our lives. We need people in our lives that are going to rebuke us sometimes. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So, so it's good to have friends in your life that are not afraid to wound you. Now, uh, this morning, we're going to finish up the book of Colossians, and it's been a great study. I've really, it's been, we, we've been kind of walking through Colossians since January, 1st of January. And, and you know, we've learned about things that are important, and the, the main lesson that we see in the, in the letter to the Coloss- church at Colossae that, that Paul wrote is, is that Christ is preeminent, that you can't miss that truth when you look at the book of Colossians, that, that Christ is Lord of all. We just sang about that. We just experienced the Lord's Supper, that who is like Jesus? Who, who can forgive sins but Christ? Who, the, the creator of all the world is, is God in the flesh, Jesus, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and no one is like him. We've seen the preeminence of Christ. And in chapter 1, that's what Paul turns his face to. He, he looks at the preeminence of Christ and, and just that idea how Christ is Lord of all. Then in chapter 2, you saw in the, we saw in the book of Colossians that he, he warned us about these wolves that are coming, these, these false teachings in the world. And, and we need to recognize false teaching when we see it. Then in chapter 3 and 4, he, he kind of turns... The, the corner, and, and he, he looks at the preeminence of Christ and helps us see how to live that in our everyday lives. Now, today, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and it's, it's kind of one of those parts of the Bible that we tend to just read really quickly and overlook. It's the, 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 the conclusion of a letter. And, and a lot of times when we look at these um, 
introductions to a letter or a conclusion to a letter, we kind of just overlook those details and go, okay, it's just names and just people. Let me get through that in our Bible reading. But, but the truth is God doesn't waste a thing in his word. Every part of God's word has something incredible to teach us. And so this morning, let's turn our face to Colossians 4, starting in verse 7, and let's stand together and let's read the text today. So Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and, and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greeting to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church at her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, um, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now the beginnings and endings of these letters really have some incredible nuggets that we don't want to miss. And, and, and one of the things that Paul's doing here, he's thanking his ministry partners. He's thanking these guys for, for serving him, with him, and, and he's, he's grateful for them. Now, now, when you think of a glaring lesson in this list, it's, it's obvious that, that you realize that none of us will cross the finish line of life or ministry. We won't cross it well without the help of faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. We won't. We, we, we need one another. This is why you need a church as a believer. You, you, you can't just come into the big room and, and, and just leave. You, you need fellowship. We need to know one another. We need to, uh, we're called to one another. And we've all found ourselves living in this place. And, and, and because of that, we're called to speak into one another and be together and serve together. And, and when you look at this list, it's easy to just skip through it real fast. But when you really get behind the curtain of the lives and the, and the ways these people serve the Lord, uh, man, it's so inspiring. Now, what I want us to see, point number one, if you're following along in the notes, is that, is that you're not supposed to follow Jesus by yourself. And let's not forget that. We're not supposed to follow Christ by ourselves. There are no Lone Ranger Christians you know, we always have heard this. Everybody said this. Uh, lots of preachers have said this. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? Uh, we, we, we're not supposed to be by ourselves. We, 
Paul, it's interesting, he was, a, he was a soul winner and he was a disciple maker. And this is what I love about Paul. He, he, he invested in lives. Look at verse 7. Tychius will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, he says. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And, and I love this. He's like, hey, I want you to know how God is moving around the world. And, and this is one of the things we do as believers. We get to come together and talk about how God is at work in our lives. I mean, this week, this past week, I, I got to go to Richmond, Virginia, because I serve as a trustee for the IMB, the International Mission Board. And I'll tell you what. I was blown away at how God is moving around the world. I got to rub shoulders with this guy named Wilson, who I said, dude, you've got to come to my church. His testimony was incredible about how he came to faith in Christ in Austin, Texas. And now he's he's serving as one of our missionaries. I think he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. And, And, you know, he's being used for the kingdom of God. And let me tell you something. Paul is saying, hey, Tychius is going to come and tell you how God's moving, and and we need to know how God's moving around the world. It's cool. Look at verse 9. And and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And and Onesimus, you remember him? Onesimus was, um, he's the subject of the the Philemon letter. If you know the book of Philemon in the Bible, it's it's about Onesimus. Onesimus was was a slave that took off from his master, Philemon. He left and he escaped and stole from his master. But then Onesimus gets saved. Philemon was a believer. And it's interesting as you look at that story of Onesimus and Philemon, and, and you totally see from, from that incident that the, that, that, that the followers of Christ change culture, change the world. When we come to Jesus, we make a difference in the systems of our, of our authorities and governments, and it's just a responsibility we have. It's so cool. Onesimus' story is a cool story. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. You know Aristarchus, right? Oh my goodness, this is, I can't wait to meet him in heaven. You realize all these guys are waiting for us in heaven someday. And, uh, and when, we, when I go to heaven, I can't wait to see Aristarchus. That dude's a, he's, he's up there for me because he, he's talked about in Acts 19. That's one of the famous places where Aristarchus is. And, and remember that story? Acts 19 is such a cool chapter in the scriptures. Because here was Aristarchus, he and, uh, and the, Paul's traveling companions have served the Lord in Ephesus for like two years. And, and God was doing extraordinary things, Acts 19.10 says. And, and these cool things are happening. But, but Demetrius was, was mad about it. Demetrius was a silversmith, and, and he made a lot of money on the goddess Artemis because they would worship Artemis. And what people would do, they would buy these little silver shrines. And, but the problem was in Ephesus, all these people are getting saved and they're not buying silver shrines. And so the whole city is mad. Paul goes out of town and Gaius and Aristarchus are ministering and they grab them and they drag them into the Colosseum where 25,000 people are standing there. And I can imagine Gaius and Aristarchus looking at each other going, Dude, we are dead today. And, and for two hours, Acts 19 says, that this mob of people chant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours. 
And I can see them going, man, this is our last day. I can imagine them praying, Lord, would you help us? But then Acts 19 talks about Paul. He goes up, hears them, the crowd, and Paul says the most bomb thing that you can ever imagine. When I think about what Paul said, it inspires me. I want to be like this because there's 25,000 people in this Colosseum. Gaius and Aristarchus are, are there. And what does Paul say? He goes, I want to go in there. I want to go talk to them. It's 25,000 to two. And Paul says, hey, they need one more. I'll go. I'll go. I'm like, I want to be a pastor like that. But right in front of their eyes. I can imagine them praying, God, protect us. God, lead us. God, how do we get out of this? And right in front of their eyes, the whole crowd is dismissed and everybody just goes home. Gaius and Aristarchus were like, dude, that was crazy. That's Aristarchus here. He's with Paul. He's in prison with Paul. Mark, look at that, verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. You know John Mark, right? That's the... uh, He served with Paul in Acts 13 and Acts 15. John Mark had a conflict with Paul. They got mad at John. Paul got mad at John Mark. And then you had Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? He was the encourager. And that's kind of, I can relate to Barnabas. I like Barnabas because I'm kind of like Barnabas, a glass half full all the time, not a a glass half empty. But Paul was mad at, at John Mark. And he was like, get out of here, man. I don't want to do ministry with you. And Barnabas said, no, man, we're going to do this. And, and Paul and Barnabas had a fight, and they split with John Mark. You see this great lesson of let's learn to forgive one another. Let's recognize we're going to have conflicts with one another, even in the church, and we should work through that. We should learn to be family and recognize there are times that we'll have to, we'll make each other mad. Paul and John Mark and Barnabas got mad at each other. And Jesus, who is called Justice, verse 11, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me, Paul says. And that's a calling that we have, to be a comfort to one another, to help one another. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. You know Luke, that's the writer of, he, Luke wrote a third of the New Testament. I love Luke when you... Think about the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He wrote those two books. And, and a scroll is a certain length. And every scroll was the same length. And what I love about Luke, he was writing to Theophilus, his, his, I think he was his lost friend. And Luke's like, I'm going to fill up every ounce of this scroll. And that became the gospel of Luke, the book of Acts that we study today. And, and Luke was there and he greets you, the physician. You know, there's so many important stories here, so many lessons here. But you know what I see? I see James 5.16 at play here. What is James 5.16? It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I see that played out right there. As you look at these relationships, as you, because uh, what is James talking about here? When, when he says, hey, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. The, the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is talking what we call today accountability partners. That's what he's talking about. And, and, and accountability partner is, a, accountability is a gift that we have, isn't it? It's a blessing to be held accountable in our lives. And, and this is important for us. There, there are many people who, who've built within their, their lives an accountability partner who is going to push you and hold your feet to the fire to be faithful. 
You know, I have those currently in Owasso, in my life, people that see me, that walk with me, that, that are saying, hey, Chris, follow through. I've had that all through my history. I think about the groomsmen in my life that stood with me 20, almost 27 years ago. I got that. Um, 27 years ago when I got married. And my groomsmen, as they stood together with me, Keith Davis was one of them. Brad Ayler was one of them. And, and these guys stood with me and they said, hey man, we love you. And as goofy as we were and probably still are when we get together, those guys, we had a seriousness to us. And they looked at me and said, hey, let me tell you something, I love you. But Chris Wall, if you ever bail on Robin, if you ever break this commitment that you're making to her, we're gonna come see you. And we're gonna lay hands on you. And it may not feel that good. Because we're going to, we're holding your feet to the fire. And see, that's, that's really what you see here, is this blessing of accountability. And you see this wisdom lived out in, right in front of us, like Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I mentioned earlier, Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And what you see right in front of us in the ending of this letter is incredible accountability. I love it. Verse 15, he says, Give greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha, we don't know much about her, but she had a church at her house. How cool is that? And, and this is significant because it's in the church where accountability is found. And this is why as we get to the end of Colossians, we can't overlook this and go, oh, well, they're just talking about thanks to people. No, let's not overlook it. And we can't miss feeling this, feeling that, that we need to get intentional about accountable relationships. That's point number two. Let's get intentional about accountable relationships. Let's embrace the fact that we need to be accountable, that we need people to hold our feet to the fire. And, and so what kind of person do you look for to hold you accountable? But first of all, let me give you a, just a quick list. You need to find someone you can trust. You ought to, be, you ought to have somebody that, that is in your life, and we ought to be a group of people in our church that we can trust one another, that, that when I share my heart or I share struggles, it's not going to end up on Instagram or Facebook in three hours. You've got to have someone you can trust. You've got to have somebody that, that genuinely loves you. And if we're going to be account, held accountable, let's find somebody that, that loves you. Now, let's understand what love is, right? Love is not telling you what you want to hear. Love is telling you what you need to hear. And that's important because it's interesting as we navigate our culture today because now one of the most wrong things you can do is look at somebody and tell them that they're wrong. But let me tell you something. There are times we need people to tell us we're wrong. There are times I'm wrong. And I need a voice in my life saying, hey, that, that, that doesn't always agree with me. I need those friends in my life that aren't impressed with me that just go, man, you're missing it there. And, and let's, let's build a church that leans into accountability. In a lost world, the people that don't know Christ, they don't understand this. My wife's working on her master's in music at OU, and, and, and I won't go into the details of this book that she read, but it was about, um, there was this story of, of this pastor who was looking at a group of other pastors, and he was 
very harshly getting in their face about some practices as they were deviating from the word of God. And now it was a public conference and this lost person was looking into this conference and said, man, that was pretty mean. But the truth is, I am thankful for the brothers that are in my life that are willing to be mean to me if I'm walking away from the Lord. Those are the ones that love you. So let's not push away accountability in our lives. Let's understand that there are times we need to be confronted. There are times that we need to, to, to change our habits. Um, I'm grateful for a day that we can connect digitally. I'm grateful for the people in the back right now that are, are making sure people at home are connecting. And when we're learning the, the, the learning how to connect digitally, and we, we are embracing that. But let me tell you something. There are times you need a hug. There are times you need a body. And so let's not, let's not just stay online and stay distant. Let's, 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 let's work to come back in person. Let's work to get out of, let's, let's, Let's recognize that there's a, for some, there's a Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 habit that needs to be broken. That, that verse says, look, let's, let's not forsake meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. And, and look, let's find somebody that genuinely loves you. Find somebody who's mature enough to handle your struggles. That's important. That, that can handle your honesty. Can't, they're not going to be shocked by your, your struggles. This is a good accountability partner. Find somebody who's wise in God's word. This is something we need to do. Someone that knows the word of God. And, and, and let's be honest, they're, they're, um, uh, just, just even yesterday, I was with a, a friend who, who we were talking about a, a guy in my life, in our lives, that walked away from the Lord. And, and this person said, man, everything you said to him came true. And I told this guy, I said, man, look, if you bail on the Lord, your life's going to stink. Because this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And you know what? He did it. And everything I said came true. And it's not because I'm just some wise sage of a pastor. I just quoted Matthew 7. Into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came, the winds blew, it beat against that house, and it did not fall. But if you hear these words of mine and you do not put them into practice, you're a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came, the winds blew, it beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so really, uh, with this accountable, accountable relationship that I was in, I just was saying, dude, you walk away from the Lord, you'll regret it. And, and, and look, we've got to be in one another's lives to say, look, let's push one another to walk with the Lord, to trust the Lord. Find somebody who knows the word of God in your life. It's critical. Look at verse 16. And, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, see that you, and I love this, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. And, and I love that. Hey, see to it. 
Let's see to it that we fulfill the ministry that God has given us from the Lord. And this is what I pray we do as a church, that, that we see to it, that we follow the Lord, that we complete the, the work we've been called to complete. Look, who brought us all in this community? God did. God's the one that orchestrated your job move or your family to be here. God's called us together. God's m- called us to this time in the history of the world. Look, let's, let's see to it that we follow through. And, and, and look at what Paul says, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Notice this. Remember my chains, he says. Look at that. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You know what he's saying? Following Christ is not easy. Let me tell you something. Following Jesus will not be easy. Now, his burden is light because the burden of sin stinks. The burden of sin is devastating and weighty. But Jesus took that off of us. Following Jesus does not promise us easy times or or. Uh, and, and those of you that are graduating today, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to, we're excited to honor you guys tonight. But I want you to take this step into adulthood, recognizing that following Christ won't be easy. It won't always be safe. It won't always be comfortable. Paul said, remember my change. There will be tough times. And you know what? The truth is, as I trace the trajectory of, of, the, of culture, in the almost 50 years that I've been on this planet, let me tell you something. I, I, I think tough times are ahead for the church. I do. I believe that. Now, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I do. I am. But, but I, let me tell you something. There's tough times ahead in our country. There's tough times ahead for the church. You know, there's a book I read several, about a year and a half ago called uh, The Great Evangelical Recession. This guy named Eric Dickerson wrote it, and, and he, 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 he's kind of a pastor sociologist, and he, and he, and he talked about the church. He, li- he listed six things about the church that's ahead. He says, the, first of all, the, the, the church is inflated, the, the, that we think in the church that there are more Christians in the world than, we, than there actually are. And, and he, he articulates that really in the United States of America, evangelical Christians, those that believe the Bible, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that that's about 7% of the United States of America. And I think he's right. I think he's absolutely right. He says that the church is bleeding, um, meaning that we're not reaching the next generation. And I am thankful for our student ministry here. I'll tell you what, I've never seen our student ministry in such a strong position as I watch what's happening with our, our discipleship groups and how, how God has put on Andrew's heart this, this call to train our kids to, to wrestle with the Word of God. I'll tell you what, I'm grateful what I see Amber doing in our children's ministry, how, how the Word of God is being taught in incredible ways, what I see Susan doing in our children's ministry. And, I, and I'll tell you, without apology, we are turning our face to reaching the next generation. And I've, I've had some people, you know, I don't get too much criticism, but I've had some criticize me going, Chris, well, are we just focused on young people? We absolutely are. Because we've got a baton to pass one day. I'm focused on training my children to walk with Jesus. 
And I'll tell you, we, we need to stop the bleeding. He, he also articulates the church will be bankrupt in 25 years. You know, we, we have, Robin and I have trained our kids about tithing, and we watch them, and they tithe. And I've seen them, and, and, they, and Eric said to me the other day, Dad, I, I can't believe how God has blessed me, even though I've, I keep tithing, and God keeps blessing with this gig or this thing. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, man, out give God. I'm so proud of our church right now. You know what? You realize that we haven't passed an offering bag in this place? We have offering bags. Some of you are like, really? We have bags? Oh, oh. We haven't passed the offering bags in, um, since March of 2020. Now, if you'd have told me that in February, I'd have said, yeah, we are passing the offering bags. But you know what? Our church is being faithful with giving. Well, I mean, uh, well done. I mean, we're faithful to, to give. And by golly, we should be. Who can outgive God? He, he gives us everything we own, right? But, but, but Dickerson points to the fact that because we're not reaching the next generation, because we're not teaching giving, the church could be bankrupt in 25 years. He says the church is sputtering. Um, we're not converting the lost. We're not seeing the lost come to Christ. This is why we act like missionaries right here. This is why we as, as a church are turning our face to sharing the gospel and let's live as missionaries and, and let's understand that God has called us to reach people in this community. He's planted us here for a reason and we need to know the harvest field that we are working in. And God has positioned us as a church uniquely to, to be a church in Owasso that reaches out to the rural areas, reaches out to this suburban area. And then God has entrusted us to, to, to move into Tulsa four years ago. And now we get to reach into urban areas. And now and in August, oh my goodness, in August, as we start to reach into the Hispanic community of our, of our, of our city. Oh my goodness. I pray that we don't sputter. Fifth thing that Dickerson says, the church is going to be hated. And boy, don't you see this setting the stage of, of, of us as we stay to a gospel proclamation, a community, or a, or a culture that says you can't preach that? I'm thankful that there's not a pastor that I know that I rub shoulders with that when the hate comes to the, us as pastors and us as churches. We will we'll stand and take whatever consequences come. And I'm thankful for a church that will stand on the truth of God's word and never compromise in spite of the cultural pressure. But I'll tell you, Dickerson may be right that there's going to be hate potentially coming. Here's what's sad. His sixth prediction I see it, and it burdens me. He says the church is dividing, that, that we're seeing right now, sometimes we, we as Christians fight the wrong battles. We start to fight one another. You realize, and most of you do, if you've been here a long time, that, that a year ago, we had a small group of people leave our church and went to start a church in town. 
And, and you know what? Um, that's a work of God. That's not a battle we fight. And you know what happened a couple weeks ago? God has opened a door for Harbor of Grace, Rob Lewis's church, who I love deeply. They are merging with a church in Tulsa about three and a half miles from our Tulsa campus. And you know what I said to the guy that called me and goes, you think this is okay? I said, oh my goodness. Not only will you have our Tulsa campus being a vibrant work of God in Tulsa, now you'll have another one. There's a church that's dying and they'll, they'll pour, pour life into it. And so three miles from each other, now there are two lights that are getting brighter in the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? That's the way it should be. Look, let's fight the right battles. Point number three, and and this is what you see, regardless of what's ahead, regardless of whether Dickerson's right in his predictions, I don't know. Um, But point three, you see this in Paul's letter here, in the ending of this letter, never stray away from the word of God. That's the push that he has to these guys. Don't stray away from the word of God. Come on, don't, don't fall away. And you see it over and over again that, that Christ is preeminent. And, the, and, and this church was planted to, to point the world to Christ. And, and this is what we must do. This is what we're called to do. Point the world to Christ. And, and, and you see in this relationship with these guys that, that God's word takes precedence. And for us, we have committed, Lord, anytime we find a practice in our lives that is contrary to the word of God, we are compelled to, to line up with what your word says. Anytime we have a belief that we discover is contrary to the word of God, we are compelled to change our beliefs and line up with the Bible. And God's word takes precedence. And, and, and let's, let's notice something. And I know... Uh, Look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Boy, let's not miss this. Let's not miss this right here. Demas is mentioned three times in Paul's letters. Uh, he's mentioned in the book of Philemon, and, and he's included with, with Mark and Aristarchus and Luke. He's mentioned here in, in verse 14 as, as a fellow worker, as a, as a servant. But do you know the third time that he's mentioned? is 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know what it says? Verse 10 says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Boy, let's not miss this. Let's not miss Demas here. Because, now now I don't think Demas lost his salvation. I don't think he, I, I, I think he bailed on, on the Lord. I think he bailed on Paul's ministry here. And, but I don't think he lost his salvation because, you know, I, I, the Bible's clear on salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the day of redemption. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. I don't think Demas lost his salvation. But I think Demas missed this incredible adventure of walking with the Lord. He, he bailed. And this is why I believe we've got to push one another to, to know the Word of God, to live by the Word of God, to, to let the Word of God take precedence rather than the philosophy of man. 
to let the Word of God shape our thinking, uh, trump all other ideas, to let the Word of God trump even our own thoughts, our own beliefs. We, we let the Word of God shape our actions, shape our thinking. And, and I love this accountability that you see in this passage, but, but look at verse, four, chapter, verse 12 in chapter 4. Uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Now, if you were with us in January when we started the book of Colossians, we started with Epaphras. And what I want to do is end with Epaphras. Epaphras was a missionary to his own city, to where he was living, to Colossae. And God used him as a prayer warrior. And what you see in Epaphras, you see this guy where prayer is experienced in his life. And this is what I pray we do. I pray we are a church that learns how to pray and experience, that we experience the power of prayer working in our lives. Man, I pray for this. We've watched the Lord answer prayer. I mean, goodness gracious. My friend Tony over here, I prayed for his family a bunch. And just a few weeks ago, his entire family got baptized. Look, let's, let's experience the power of prayer, power to be witnesses. And I'm so thankful that, that Epaphras got saved and he became a missionary where he lived. That's our call. That's what we're called to do is be missionaries right where we live. Christ is preeminent in our lives, and, and the Word of God gives us wisdom and instruction and guidance. And let's not miss this. Let's not miss the call to prayer, the call to walk with the Lord. Let's, let's feel this accountable push. Because you know what Colossians is doing? You know what the Holy Spirit's doing today? He's pushing us. He's pushing us to get serious about our walk with the Lord. He's inviting us to this adventure of, hey, don't miss following me. Hey, tough times may be ahead. Oh man, don't you know that when tough times come, that's when God is the most relevant and present and real to us. That's why 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1 that says, hey, we should arm ourselves with suffering with the same attitude of suffering because when you arm yourself with suffering, you're done with sin. First Peter 4 says, that doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore. That means we're so focused. And you know, when I look at the, the dire predictions ahead, I look at, oh, cool. That means we're gonna be focused. Because I don't know about you, but as a, you know, I was at the state tennis tournament yesterday and, and or Friday and, and Andrew Ayler was playing and, and it was a tough match. And, and you know what? It was hard, and, and they, were, they were in a tiebreaker in the third set. And if you know anything about tennis, that's a close match. And it was, they were tired. And those guys were hitting the ball hard. But you know what? Those guys were focused. Those guys were in the match. They were engaged. They were paying attention. They weren't distracted at the noise, at the crowd, at the, at, at the things around them. They were focused. And you know what I see when I look ahead at the challenges ahead of us? You know what that's going to do for us in the church? It's going to focus us. We're going to go, all right, let's go. Look, let's walk with Jesus. Let's feel the push of accountability. Let's plug into life together. Let's forgive one another. Let's fight the right battles. Let's serve the Lord. That's where we're headed.
That's our call. Let's embrace it. Joshua's going to come, and, and you know what he's going to do? I'm gonna, we're going to do an invitation a little differently in this service. He's going to sing over you. He, and I, what I want you to do is just kind of bow your head. If you need, if you need Christ today, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm going to be here. But as you bow your head and let Josh sing this song over us, if you need Christ, come. Maybe you need to go get somebody and go, hey, I'm going to go pray with me. You know, they say in preacher school, hey, man, we're going to have an invitation. Everybody, st- everybody stand first because it makes it easier to come out. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to make it harder to come out. Come down if you need to. I'm not trying to make it hard. But... But if you need a prayer today, if you need somebody to pray, our altars are going to be open, and we invite you to come. But if you just need in your own heart to get right with the Lord, right where you are, allow God, allow His Spirit to, to draw you to Him. Would you bow your head with me? Lord Jesus, we need you. And we look to you right now as our Lord and our Savior. I thank you for the push, Lord. I thank you for pushing us to accountability. I thank you for pushing us to obedience. And Lord, we don't know what's ahead. It sure seems it's shaping up to be some troubled waters. Ah, but Lord, you calm the storm. Ah, Lord, you tell us when you walk through the waters in Isaiah 43, not to be, not to be worried. Why? Because you're with us. And so, Lord, thank you that we don't have to fear what is ahead. We can just walk with you, and you'll walk us every step of the way. Ah, Lord, you are good. Move us now. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. For our graduates, Lord, oh, Lord, may they be young men and young women that walk with you, trust you, that don't bail on you. Lord, lead us. Move us now. In Jesus' name, amen.